So hello and welcome to another episode of A Spoonful of Recovery. Today we have a special guest. We have Dr Velasquez to share her experiences. Just a trigger warning before we get started. So we will be touching upon symptoms of illnesses and also mental health. So if you find any of those topics challenging, this episode may not be for you. Okay, so hello and welcome to the show. It's great to have you on here. If you could just give us a bit of an introduction. Hi, Sheila. Thank you very much for having me in your podcast. So I am a neurologist, passionate about functional neurological disorders and functional illnesses in general, because um, I had functional symptoms early in my medical career when I was in medical school. So I was always very passionate and curious about those group of conditions. I did my specialty training in clinical neurophysiology, and I come from a background of many countries of training. I'm an immigrant, multicultural, and because of that, I was born in Cuba, studied medicine in Spain, then moved to the United States uh, for my specialty training. Because of that, you know, coming from poverty, having to move, then I have experienced a lot of uh, challenges in my life. Uh, and, and we know, hopefully everyone knows, that challenges and trauma, any kind of issues in the physical body, the mind, the emotions, the environment, so witnessing trauma too, are triggers and causes for functional symptoms. So I was exposed to a lot of those risk factors very early in my life. So I have an internal experience with functional illnesses and FND, and also uh, scientific knowledge because of my studies. So that makes the rest of us seem so boring. So can you just describe and explain to anyone who may not understand what functional symptoms are or FND? So um, let's see. I have, the way I see it in my own mind, uh, it's like you have a big umbrella mm-hmm. of functional symptoms or functional illnesses. And under that, you can have manifestations in all the organs and systems. When we talk about functional neurological disorders, it's because... There is a functional illness in the nervous system, but you can have, for example, chronic musculoskeletal pain like fibromyalgia, and that would be a rheumatological manifestation of a functional illness. You can have irritable bowel syndrome, and that would be a functional illness of the digestive tract. Some patients, when they have, for example, for example, chest pain or heart racing without any medical explanation, and they are debilitated by the symptoms, then they have a functional illness or manifestation of the cardiovascular system. So what are these functional illnesses and functional symptoms? So they happen because uh, there is a malfunctioning, a misfiring, a problem in the, in the metabolism, in the functioning, in the electricity, the way the electricity travels between the mind and the physical body. And when I talk about the mind, I talk about 
pretty much all the areas of the mind, of the brain are really involved in this disease. We are, we are talking about the centers that control sensation, for example, movement, emotions, vision, the centers that are involved in autonomic function, like the heart rate, like the digestive tract. So that's, that's pretty much what functional illnesses are. Any physical manifestation of dysfunction, a misconnection, a misfiring between the brain and the physical body. And I want to make it very clear that even that the medical literature talks about mind-body disconnection, it's a little bit more broader than that because the emotions take a big role in the production and the maintenance of these conditions. And the emotions are uh, in the interface between the brain, the mind, and the physical body. I always say, remember, when you feel, when you were in love, when you are passionate, how you get the butterflies in the stomach or in the chest, when you're nervous or uh, scared, how your, your palms sweat and you get a little shaky, maybe. Emotions, fear, love, they are born in the brain, in the mind, but they have a physical representation too. So it's very important to take them into consideration when we talk about functional neurological disorders. And, and the fourth factor important to consider when we talk about functional illness is the environment, because a lot of the things that we experience internally are the result of what happens outside. Mm. And not only that, also the result of our life satisfaction. That's that, and, and, and that's a little bit broader. That's almost like a spiritual, right? What do we come to this world to do there is an inner calling there is a thrive to achieve certain things so there is a spiritual component too that can trigger and maintain functional illnesses am i making sense yeah 100 yeah okay i also just wanted to ask what symptoms did you experience because when it comes to like anything functional it's quite varied with people, the groups that I'm part of. Some people might just have chronic migraines. Other people might be wheelchair bound or they can't move. They can't get out of bed. Well, I said what functional illnesses are, right? This malfunctioning, this problem in the electrical connections between all these parts of our being. Now, let's remember that the organs, the anatomy, it's healthy. Right? In functional illnesses, the anatomy of the organs, when they do the blood test, the x-rays, the, the CAT scans, all that's normal. Yeah. Right? So, but despite that, it can, it can still affect all the organs and all the systems in the body and cause this dysfunction. So it can give anything, right? Really any symptom. And it can go from coma to chronic headaches, to trouble speaking, swallowing, to having seizures, to falling. Me, particularly when I was in medical school, that this is what happened. I was just doing my normal activity of an 18, 19 year old studying a lot for medical school. And I was working also to be able to pay for medical school and my bills and, and my room. So it was a lot of workload. And then one day I'm sitting and studying and I just start to have like a numbing sensation, a, a heat wave. 
Uh, and then my vision went dark. My heart started to race. Then I got a little nervous. And then I felt, oh my God, am I going to pass out? I'm kind of paying attention to my body. But then it went away. So I'm like, hmm, maybe my blood sugar went down. I ate something. A few days later, all the symptoms came back in addition to some throat tightness and, and some upper chest pain, kind of in the connection of the upper chest with the throat. There was some pain there, some pressure. And then it, it went to generalize weakness and my vision went completely dark. And I started yelling uh, that I needed help, that I was dying. And I was living across from the hospital where I was doing my practices. And uh, we ran to the emergency room. Oh, they did a whole bunch of tests and they talked to me. And then the doctor, the doctor said, listen, you had what seemed to be a panic attack. And then he explained to me a little bit uh, what functional symptoms are, how they can uh, appear in the context of stress and overwork. And I mean, dozens of other causes, but for my particular case in that moment, those were some of the causes. But yes, it was very, very scary. So scary that I ended up in the emergency room. And, you know, tons of blood tests and x-rays and, and uh, electrocardiogram and the usual. Everything was normal. And you know what? I was lucky that I had a very smart doctor tell me the right diagnosis immediately. Because, you know, this doesn't happen often. A lot of the time we go from doctor to doctor, hospital to hospital, specialist to specialist. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I don't think I've really heard that before where someone just went straight to the emergency room and they said right it's functional and this is what's happened it's usually MRIs fine blood tests fine go home and be happy why do you think that is that people are often dismissed because it seems to be a global problem not just a UK one or a USA one it seems to be like everywhere medical specialists just don't seem to believe in it yeah so you mentioned two important things Sheila you said why do they do so much testing? There is usually the MRI, the blood test, tons of specialists and investigation. And then the second problem that you mentioned was then they dismiss you. They check the organs, they don't see anything and they tell you, well, I don't know where it is or, or it's all in your head or go see the psychiatrist, right? So let's see, uh, these are two separate problems that have two separate causes. The first one, why do they do so much testing? Well, sadly, very, very sadly, you know, I started my medical career in Cuba and a developing country that is very mm -hmm. poor. So we didn't have any CAT scans or MRIs or anything. So doctors, before the technological era, they were forced to be very, very clinically oriented, very good at their history and physical examinations. What has happened now, especially in the developed countries like the United States, England, most European countries, uh, Western European countries especially, is that now we're getting lazy. We doctors are getting very, very lazy and medicine has turned into a business where you have uh, pharmaceutical companies and, and technological companies that are selling drugs and MRIs and all sorts of machines. 
you know, pushing you to do these tests so they can make money. And doctors are working so much, seeing so many patients in so little time because, again, medicine is an industry, the healthcare industry. So what happens is when you only have 15 or 20 minutes to evaluate the patient, and most of that time you're in the computer, you have really no time to do a comprehensive history and a comprehensive physical examination. So what you do, you prescribe all sorts of testing and then uh, there it goes. And you know what happens, Sheila? Every test that we go through generates what? Money. You lose money. That's one thing. Then it, it, it is scary every time. You have to go to the doctor for a blood test, for a CAT scan, for an MRI with contrast, with iodine or invasive procedures. So it's a little bit of a trauma and another little bit of a trauma and another little bit of a trauma for the physical body, for the mind, for the emotions, for your money, for right? Yeah. So that is a big problem that is taking place because of the uh, technological advances and we see this also right in the destruction of the planet, for example. We're advancing technologically so fast, uh, but our consciousness, our mindfulness, our compassion uh, is being left behind a little bit. So yeah. that is, in my experience, the number one, one of the causes to the number one problem that you brought up. Why, are, why do we get dismissed? So I guess for me, when I went, to A&E they just went you've got anxiety it was almost like why are you here and I know it was COVID but it sort of put me off going back again and my parents were like well she's she keeps dropping on the floor she's having seizures and they were like nah it's just a bit of anxiety or she's attention seeking and I thought I've been healthy all my life why would I make it up and it was my first time going to A&E so it put me off for life I'm not saying you shouldn't go, but it was quite traumatic. But I also wanted to ask, is the MRI scan the highest level test that you could do? Because I remember one of my GPs saying to me, well, the MRI scan said you're fine. So you must be fine. Like there's nothing else above that. Is that true? Yes. Uh, Okay, I'm a little obsessive and organized sometimes, so I'm going to (laughs) answer the question before that, and then we're going to get to the MRI and and testing again. So, okay, why do we get this means? Why do they tell us? Why do doctors tell us that we're making it? Why do they even think that we're making it up? My God, it's so debilitating. Some patients end up in wheelchairs. They have to quit their jobs. They cannot take care of their children. It is so debilitating. How can it be possible that doctors and other healthcare professionals think that? Well, there is a history behind it uh, that I think is ingrained in our genes, in our psychology, in our understanding. And that is started hundreds of years ago. You know, Many women, uh, because women still in modern times are uh, the population, young women especially like us, are the population who get the disease the most. So before, uh, during the Inquisition, uh, women were told and they were, uh, their symptoms were interpreted as having um, spells of witchery. 
they mm. were called witches and they were burned. And I mean, there were horrors taking place with women, especially. And then what happens later was that Freud and, and his colleagues came into the picture and they described it as hysteria. And before Freud, the, the Egyptians spoke a little bit about it and the Greeks spoke a little bit about it. And because they saw the disease being more common in women, they said, ah, hysteria, these women, women are hysterical. And I mean, that term, what they were trying to say at that time, and, and the term is very uh, detrimental and it carries a heavy negative weight. What they were trying to say at the time is like, well, these women have a lot of emotional issues. They thought that it was happening mainly in women that were not getting married, women that couldn't have children. So they thought, well, these women are having a lot of emotional issues, frustrations, uh, you know, worries. And these things, then Freud said, these things are being turned into physical symptoms subconsciously. And then it went from hysteria to conversion disorder. And then what happens is that all their doctors also said, well, it seems that some people are doing it subconsciously, but other people seem to be doing it consciously to get money, to get some secondary gain. So all these conditions were grouped more or less under the same really broad categories and then subdivided into subconscious or conscious for secondary gain and, and many other classifications. So what I'm trying to say is that historically, there has been a misinterpretation mm. and a misunderstanding. Hundreds of years ago, what one of the things that led to that was, of course, religions and beliefs and all that. And the other thing was the lack of the lack of technology, because what has happened in the past 20 years is that thanks to functional MRI, scientists have been able to finally prove that these conditions happen because of a real problem in the functioning of the nervous system, that there is no way how these patients could be uh, faking functional mm -hmm. neurological disorders and other functional illnesses. So I think, I think uh, you know, doctors are so busy these days that they haven't really read the literature of the past 20 years. Again, because doctors are uh, overwhelmed and doctors are, listen, Sheila, doctors are burned out. Yeah. Doctors are experiencing functional symptoms themselves because if you look at burnout, burnout has a lot of functional symptoms and manifestations within that illness. So that's why it's so important the work that you're doing, the work that we're doing that everyone in social media is helping to create awareness, bring understanding, because my God, we need to educate doctors. Yeah. They need to catch up with the modern scientific discoveries. Yeah, I think what I would have preferred is if my GPs or neurologists said, Shayla, we don't know what's wrong with you. It's something, but we don't know. Let's just refer you and see, we may not have the answers. I would have preferred that and probably accepted that sooner than going round in circles, being passed around and being told that it's all in my head and that I'm attention seeking, you know, the accusations and stuff. Wow. I, I just thought you're literally telling me I've got psychological issues. I'm trying to show you what's wrong with me. 
So I started filming my symptoms, showing them at appointments. One neurologist said to me, just try harder, just get up and try harder. And I thought, how are you even in, you know, the medical world? And going back onto your point about history, I'm reading a book called Unwell Women. And it's a massive book. And it just talks about how historically, if you were unmarried, you were the unmarried lady and you had an illness because you were unmarried. And then, wow. yeah, and then if you, you were automatically a woman from a certain background, you would be the sensitive one and she's making it up and just go light a candle and sit in the attic. The way you were psychologically treated as well, it just makes it worse. So I just think awareness is so important. Earlier on, you did mention something around risk factors and the environment so for argument's sake I've lived in the same household with other people my family they weren't the ones dropping on the floor they may have had similar experiences to our upbringing or say my siblings they didn't get ill but I did and there may be people who say well I've had a great life I was out achieving so much I didn't have symptoms how much would you say environment and upbringing sort of has an impact? Because there'll be people who say, I've had a great childhood, you know, everything was great. And then, you know, what is it that sort of causes these illnesses? Yes, yes. I, I just wanted to, to add something, Sheila. Um, you're right about doctors not admitting that they don't know and I don't know why they do that because I have come across very complex cases not in functional illnesses but you know I'm a neuromuscular expert and there are very rare conditions within Mm -hmm. the neuromuscular field and I patients listen I don't know you have to go to John Hopkins or the Cleveland Clinic because I have reached my level of understanding you know I'm only human yeah so I do not know but yes that's definitely definitely a problem and then I wanted to answer that question is the MRI the highest test you know Sheila in in medicine the gold standard or the most important test depends on the patient's symptoms the history and the physical examination Sometimes the MRI is the best indicated for that presentation. Sometimes it's a spinal tap. Mm. Sometimes it's the muscle biopsy and an MRI is not indicated, right? So uh, I wouldn't say that the MRI is the highest. Each person has to be taken individually. Now, going moving forward to the risk factors, It is very complex. uh? The cause is very complex. And I think that is why most patients do not completely cure because most healthcare and wellness professionals treating this illness do not go to the bottom, the root cause. In, in, In my programs, we take that. It's like four to eight conversations just to get to the cause. What I, what I'm saying is, all the necessary time because it's very complex and just to give you an example of how complex it can be it can be that the risk factors for the illness or the triggers can happen when we are even in our mother's womb 
Wow. We can carry genetic predisposition. There is something in psychology called transgenerational trauma, transpersonal trauma, where we haven't experienced the trauma, but our parents did. And remember our psychology, our psychology, our emotions, the way we think, we view the world, we deal with the world has its foundation, its basis in some cells, the cells of the nervous system and the cells of the nervous system have some genetic information and that's how they function because they have the genes codifying the proteins and the proteins uh, causing all this chain of activities that give us the behavior and, and our uh, cognitive processes. What I'm trying to say is that we inherit the genes from our parents and sometimes what we inherit is charged with uh, traumatic events that can, if not unleash, they can predispose us. And then what happens during our life is that there can be some challenges that can epigenetically can allow that genetic information that holds some trauma, some dysfunction to be expressed. So yes, yes. So we have to go like very, very, very uh, carefully back into, uh, and, and as I was saying, sometimes it's not the house. Sometimes it's what's happening in society, mm. in the world. So we have to go back. But you know, Sheila, something, and this is why I like somatic experiencing so much, because through certain uh, inquiry uh, exercises, self-inquiring exercises, combined with introspection, meditation, visualizations, you can tap into the wisdom of your body and uh, the symptoms. Symptoms hold often the answers as to what the cause is. The cognitive mind may not know the cause, but the symptom holds an innate intelligence that can let, so the body can let the mind know what the cause is. So it's, it's really mysterious. Now, I want to uh, warn you and everyone who is watching the show about something. The cause of my functional symptoms was overwork. I was overwhelmed. I was trying to achieve so much. You said something. I was achieving so much. Mm -hmm. And I am seeing a raise in functional illnesses and FND in CEOs and teachers, and doctors, as I said, physician burnout, because society is leading us to be so, so focused on productivity and achieving that sometimes we're falling out of balance. We're not resting. We're not having enough fun. We're not sleeping. We're not uh, enjoying the pleasures of simply living and being. And what happens is that our nervous system starts to complain in various ways and it starts sending almost like these wrong signals or this, this warning signs, this alarm to the physical body that show in the way of dropping attacks. Let me tell you, the worst or most severe case I saw was during the pandemic. A man who's, uh, he was a construction worker. His boss told him, I have to fire half of the company. You have to do double shift, which meant working as a construction worker 16 hours a day. And if you don't do it, I'll fire you. So he had three kids at home. He did that for two months. And then he was having some discomfort, but he was pushing it aside so he could continue working until one day that he collapsed. 
he got to the hospital uh, mute and unable, unable to move a single muscle. Pretty much in coma almost, just that he was awake and alert, but he was unable to talk and brain fog, very slow to respond uh, and from overwork. So we have to be very careful with our work, personal life balance, because it is a, a cause that is being overlooked by doctors and healthcare professionals, but it's very common these days. Yeah, in yeah. my case, it definitely was because I, from a young age, suppressed my emotions, but I wanted to be a high achiever. I wanted to do, do, do. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be successful in business. I was overworked and there may have been some signs where I was very burnt out, but I continued because I thought people like me, you don't, you don't rest, you know, you've got to keep going. And then obviously I, I paid the price and was bed bound as well. So yeah, it definitely um, didn't help. How much do you think mental health has an impact on these type of illnesses? And also how did you mentally deal with being diagnosed? Yes, well, of course, the mind and the body are uh, interconnected. It's a um, two-way relationship. If we get physically ill, let's say a heart attack, a stroke, cancer, oh, that's going to impact our emotions and our mental health. It's going to make us sad, frustrated, overwhelmed, nervous, worried, you name it. So, and, and that's why often FND happens after and it coexists with illnesses of the physical body because like it or not, the physical body influences the emotions and the mind. And that is what uh, it is described in the literature as down and down top mechanism. So there is a top down and a down top mechanism. So when the physical body affects the mind, the mental health, emotions is a down top mechanism and then of course you said I wanted to achieve so much I was suppressing my emotions uh, I bent down and I pushed and I continued and I did not rest so you had a series of, of beliefs and desires uh, that came from your mind yeah. that moved your body your behavior to do certain certain actions and certain activities that ended up exhausting yourself and you ended up in bed. So the mind influences the health of the physical body, our mental health. And, and I wouldn't say it's not always mental health because you were not ill mentally. No. You, simply, you simply had some beliefs and some priorities. And so, so we can call it perhaps mental well-being in the fact that, okay, we need to rest properly. We need to have a well-balanced life. So this mental well-being can definitely affect the physical body and it can affect the uh, onset and, and, and the resolution of functional neurological disorder. And then you made another very good observation, our relationship, the relationship of our cognitive mind with our emotions, because we can choose to hold them, express them, pay attention to the emotions, which is a good thing. But sometimes cognitively, willfully, we may choose to suppress them 
Yeah. And that what happens because they show through the physical body, what happens is that they they stay stored, 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 but after months or years, they're gonna burst. Uh, it's energy, it's energy, and then it has to be released, right? Emotions happen as a result of chemical and energetical processes in the brain and between the mind and the body. Uh, and that is very common these days too, Sheila, because uh, when rationalism came to be uh, around the 1700s, we were told, you know, don't pay too much attention to your emotions. Just the rational mind is what matters and let's produce. We want to be developed. And this is what is started to be taught in school what our parents started to do and to teach us. So I tell my clients all the time, listen, it's not your fault. Absolutely not. If we have to blame someone, we're, we're going to blame society mm -hmm. and, and people, the, the thinkers of the past. But no, no, no. Let's look at the causes and let's modify what needs to be changed. And it can actually be a fun journey. Yeah. Uh, the, the journey of recovery. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Can you be cured if you have FND? Yes, yes. I had a question, uh, a conversation the other day with, with a client and I told him, yes, absolutely. Listen, I got cured just by removing the causes. So we have to look at the causes. We have to remove them. Now, there is a silver lining. Uh, and I say this often, I fracture my foot. And now when I go running without proper shoes or in an uneven pavement or for too long, my foot hurts. I do not have a broken foot anymore, but my foot lets me know, hey, remember I was broken and don't do this to me again because, you know, I'm not a hundred percent anymore. So yes, it can be cured, but the symptoms can sometimes appear when we don't treat our, our bodies in the proper way. I still get my symptoms when I am overworked and overwhelmed. But what happens is that they appear for two seconds and I'm like, wow, I'm really overdoing it today. So I'm going to cancel this phone call. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to play with my dog. Because listen, our bodies are very, very smart. If you cut yourself, what happens? It heals. Yep. You have a traumatic brain injury. It heals. You have surgery. It heals. Our yep. bodies, they want to heal. So the body tells you, no, 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 you, you did it too much today. Calm down, be happy, go out there and enjoy. Life is not about money and productivity. Mm. Or if I'm fighting with my husband and I get and I get a little bit of symptoms in my chest, in my throat, it's like, well, you're not supposed to, to keep your, your mouth shut. Express your frustration, express your emotions, because only if you express your needs and desires, you will be fulfilled. So I see the symptoms. Once we understand what the body needs and the nervous system, it can lead us to a more fulfilling uh, life and, and, and to self-expression and self-growth. So I don't see it always as a disease, but as a way of living better. Hmm. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I, I remember specifically when I first got diagnosed, being told in like FND groups that there's no way you will recover. No one ever recovers. We will be like this forever. Your life has changed. And I remember just thinking, 
I used to travel around the world on my own. I used to run and hike and some random person is telling me I'm never going to, you know, recover. And it was really hard. And when the world is telling you you're making it up, but I have to say having private therapy helped me so much. Just those emotions from being 11 years old, that inner child just needed a lot of healing. And that helped me so much. And I remember just, I felt like I went on a journey with my therapist and her just understanding so much and me being like, oh, and then I started to tell other people that I had an illness and I was like, I'm not going to be ashamed of it anymore. So it definitely, definitely helped me. What advice would you give to people who may have just been diagnosed and aren't getting any help and are being given the same leaflets or websites? What can they do? to self-help yes let's see it's a little bit hard without any help like without any help it's Mm. like a okay it's like okay the illness appears and then to get out of it you have almost like to learn a new language you have to learn to understand your body your symptoms in order to get them better so how are you gonna do that how are you gonna learn a new language without any help so you need some help. Uh, if your doctor is not being helpful, then you have to find other ways. People who are already in the journey, other patients, uh, other professionals that can guide you a little bit can be helped, like support groups. Um, there are some really good books out there, and I have some of them in my website. So sometimes you can do uh, self-help. And actually, my educational programs, they try to promote self-help because, as I say often, you are the person who have the symptoms. You have to dive into your body and and understand what they mean and what your body needs to heal. So so books and uh, yeah, you have to you have to somehow understand the disease a little bit, the, the physiology. And yeah, and simply that understanding how the human body works, neuroscience, physiology, biology, spirituality, because a lot of the time it's not an illness that you have, that we have, it's a problem that happens because of, you know, society, the way we were raised in a school by our parents. And, and then our body starts to function in a way as the result of those events. And we don't understand why is my body doing that? So learning some basic uh, biology, physiology, anatomy, it's, it's important. And I think there are, there are being more resources to help patients uh, that do not have money to pay uh, for psychotherapy because it can be expensive, right? Like private psychotherapy. Yeah, right? Going yeah. through the savings. <laughs> yes, yes. Psychotherapy uh, is expensive, even physical therapy. So um, I don't know, honestly, the other websites, if they have a lot of free resources, but uh, I have twice a month community conversations where it's just like question and answer, clarifying things, scholarships, uh, there are a skills exchange program where you tell me, oh, I like to do all these things. And, and we find a way of 
uh, I share my programs with you and my wisdom with you and you share your wisdom with me and, and the other students. And it's a mutual fun way of interchanging knowledge and wisdom that can bring about satisfaction, healing, uh, self-awareness. Yeah. And did it have an impact on your relationships like family and friends when you said, I've got these functional symptoms, were they all understanding and supportive or did you have a few people who went, what's going on, you dear? Yes, so, and I think you asked me that question and I didn't answer, you told me, okay, how did it impact you mentally, like me personally? I remember when I was told by that doctor, we had a long conversation in the emergency room because he comes and tells me, okay, it seems that you're having functional symptoms and that was a panic attack. Uh, what are you doing with your life? What's going on? So I tell him, so at that time I was living in Spain and studying medicine and my family was in Cuba and I was working very hard because I was supporting them in Cuba and sending them money. So he's like, well, it seems that you're not going to be able to work and study at the same time because it's too much. So I had to tell my family uh, that I was not going to be able to help them as much as I was. So I felt shame, of course, and I felt inadequate and I felt that I was being a bad daughter. And then uh, I was questioned. And I was criticized, uh, not because of the symptoms, but because of what I had to do to get better. But you know what? It was it, it was my help, like my help or, or them. And what happens if we don't look at the cause and correct it, we continue falling ill, we may end up disabled. And then what happens? We're really not going to be able to help anyone. No. Nope. So I tell my patients, you have to be your number one priority in order to help anyone, in order to take, to take your kids to school, in order to go to work, you have to be your number one priority at mm. first. And then as you notice improvement, then you are going to be able to share help and, and yeah, like offer yourself to others. But we have to be a little bit selfish, honestly, to, to heal. 100% agree. I and forget, to... forget about what others say, don't mm -hmm. you think? Oh, totally, 100%. I remember when I started making TikTok videos because I was bed bound and I just thought, I'm sick of people saying, be positive, get some hobbies. Like we would never say that to someone with cancer. Start making TikTok videos. And I remember someone saying, I want you embarrassed or saying to my mom, you know, why is Shayla telling everyone she's ill? Like, what's wrong with her? And I just thought, I don't really care because I felt like there was a gap. No one was really talking about it. So I am. Now I just don't really care. Whereas before I was very like, oh my God, you know, I keep dropping on the floor. I'm having these seizures. Whereas now I'm just like, yeah, I've, I have this condition. And, you know, sometimes it wipes me out. Sometimes it doesn't. But I seem to have created a better sort of, lifestyle for me I mean I hate the fact that I can't run all the time but I can still go on those walks and enjoy myself with my camera I have healthier relationships and I think I've set boundaries which I wasn't doing before I would drop everything and help everyone whereas now I don't do that as much I just think how much energy have you got so yeah definitely 
Wow, okay. So I just want to emphasize that. F and D, we said it can get better, it can get cured. And what you're telling me, Shayla, is that I got a better lifestyle for me. <laughs> I am having healthier relationships. I have now boundaries. This is what I'm talking about. It can really, it can really, if we study, like I know you have done a lot of studying. If you study the illness and you correct the causes, you can end up being free being happier, being healthier. Listen, I had one a CEO that got the illness and he, similar to you, he then had to quit. He was home with all this free time. He wrote a book. Now he's publish, publishing two books. He's getting a lot of money and mm -hmm. he's having a lot of free time with no stress. You know, being a CEO is very stressful. I had another a teacher the director of the school was horrible. She was having these bouts of pain because she couldn't express her emotions at school and she was so frustrated. She quit her job. And now she's having all this free time to be with her grandchildren, to help her family. And she is doing a number of other activities that are much more fulfilling. Yeah. And they both got better and are happier now. Yeah, definitely. I do just want to say that I know that not everyone deals with this condition or everyone's got different symptoms. So, you know, if you're not out there making documentaries, it's okay. Everyone finds their own way. Cause I remember someone saying to me, I got better. I did Tai Chi and I felt like really hurt because I was bed bound and I wasn't ready to accept the illness. So I was getting really like, Whoa. so if anyone's listening and not quite there yet, it is a journey. And I have to say, I was very impatient. I wanted answers now. I wanted treatment now. I'm still on a waiting list to see someone. And it's been two years. So <laughs> there's certain things where you just like really have to take some sort of ownership. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? You want to talk a bit about your courses and why you set those up? Well, yeah, I just want to emphasize what you said. Those are two characteristics that are very or yeah very important to be patient right because if we look at the physical body the mind if we look at nature everything has a little bit of a slower rhythm compared to the rhythms of modern society mm -hmm. and because we're talking about physical mental health emotional health and we are humans and have a human nature derived from the rhythms of nature we have to be patient in the journey, and you're so right, it is a journey and, and can have a very magnificent uh, ending. And, and the treatment, you're right, the treatment has to be personalized. For some people, doing more exercise is what feels good. Doing tai chi. For other people, they really need to sleep. They yeah. need to sleep because they are exhausted and they need to be in bed and they need to get massages and they need to be pampered. It has to be very personalized. Some people is go are going to need more attention to their emotions. Some other people are going to have to look at their environment or, and their uh, social demands. Some other people will have to look into their family history. It's mm -hmm. so personalized. Mm -hmm. So the courses that I have, it's uh, six models. And it's all the educational. So 
you and I are kind of learning together, uh, reviewing from neuroscience to sociology, to psychology, to religion. And then we take all that scientific knowledge and combine it with your personalized story. The first model is understanding FND. So we understand the illness and, and I help you understand it so you can start the journey of identifying the cause, personalizing the treatment to yourself. And then the second one we talk about, so the courses have its basis also in shamanism, which is the philosophy of nature, because nature is a wonderful resources that help us cultivate a lot of the qualities like boundaries and patience and expressing our emotions. So the next course, we talk about past, present, and future. We do some more investigation about the causes, about your dream life. We get in touch with your life's mission. And then after that, we enter into what our ancestors called the medicine wheel, where we pay attention to these four aspects of our being. Uh, during the spring is our, our spirituality, our soul's mission, our self-expression, our environment. Mm -hmm. Then the summer, we pay attention to emotional body, emotional intelligence, emotional expression, how they show in the body. During the fall, we pay attention to physical body, exercises, nutrition, the languages of the physical body. During the winter, we focus on the mind, the power of self-suggestions, creativity, our illness beliefs, what we tell to ourselves, our priorities. So it's education and it's personalized and, and it brings about uh, healing because it gives you the knowledge that you need in order to help yourself. Awesome. And yeah. where can people find you? So my website is scienceandshamanism.com, scienceandshamanism.com. And then I have a lot of uh, free opportunities too, because I do recognize that the disease can cause financial burden. Uh, and, and it's not about money, right? As I said at the beginning, okay, we're having a problem in healthcare because it's an industry. So no, no, it's not about money. It's about you and others like you one healing and building community and learning and have your fun. And, and yeah, so check it out and contact me awesome. if you're listening. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's great to see you doing so much work. I think that's how I found you. And on Instagram as well, I was like, hmm. She seems to know a lot about FND. This sounds good. So thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And I'll link all your social media as well so people can see what you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you, Shayla, for having me. And I hope to continue in touch with you. I enjoyed very much the conversation and your wisdom. Honestly, <laughs> I really, you. really enjoyed some of your comments filled with uh, important insights. Yeah.